Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I am your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another really awesome guest to reintroduce to you today. Scott Mislinski is the host of the fantastic podcast, The Carnivore Cast. The show focuses on the carnivore diet and lifestyle with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's something that I subscribe to and listen every single week. It's a, it's a great show and really can teach you a lot about a wide range of topics. Personally, Scott has been a mentor, source of knowledge, and an amazing friend for the last two years. You will not find a more knowledgeable, more caring, or more open-minded human on the planet. I'm so grateful for Scott, his work, and his friendship, and it is an absolute honor that he would make a second appearance with us today here at Boundless Body Radio. Scott Mazinski, welcome back. Wow. With an intro like that, Casey, uh, we can end the show here because it's all going to be downhill. <laughs> oh, Thank no, you so much. Absolutely. I don't think I deserve half of that, but um, really, really appreciate it and thrilled to be talking with you again. Well, when people um, hear what you have to say today, I think they will absolutely agree with me and agree with the intro. Um, super excited to have you back. I'm thinking of the movie Rudy, which I haven't seen in ages. And Rudy's in the tunnel, um, you know, that football movie. And one yeah. of his teammates like bashes him on the shoulder pads and says, are you ready for this? And he turns and says, I've been ready for this my whole life. Like, <laughs> dude, you host the carnivore cast. It is world carnivore month. This is your time. It's your time to shine. Yeah, it's game time. Game time. <laughs> I thought I would bring you back um, specifically in January for world carnivore month to explain to maybe somebody who is unfamiliar with what the carnivore diet even is. So I thought if we could maybe just do kind of like the five W's of, you know, when, who should do this, what it is even, you know, why they do it and go through and kind of explain the steps, explain like who's a good candidate, who isn't, um, all of those things I think would be really helpful for somebody who wants to learn a little bit more. Uh, we'll knock one out real easy right off the beginning. When? Well, when is January <laughs> during World Carnivore Month. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about what the carnivore diet even is. And I've heard a lot of different definitions. And I've even heard you define it differently as you've kind of progressed in your knowledge, but I still like your definition best. Can you tell us what the carnivore diet even is? Oh, thanks. Well, yeah, when I, I talk about it, it's probably not original. I'm sure I'm borrowing from someone else, but I say I define the carnivore diet as just eating most, getting most of your nutrition from animal products. And I, I, I mean that because I don't think it has to be a hundred percent strict uh, for most people to get most of the benefits. And I don't think defining it as 100% strict, you only eat animal foods, no plant foods, no seasonings, no coffee, no what have you is helpful um, for the majority of people. There are some people who need to eat that way, who have certain autoimmune conditions, sensitivities. Um, but I think to increase adherence, increase people who are willing to try it, um, make you not feel as crazy <laughs> and restricted, um, it's helpful to define it as eating most, um, if not all, of your nutrition from animal foods. So most, that's at least 50%. Would you say 70%? Is there a certain percentage or is it really just case by case? Yeah, I don't put a hard number on it. Um, there, there is such a thing as hypercarnivore, mesocarnivore, and hypocarnivore um, in the animal kingdom. And I think hypercarnivore is any animal that eats more than 70% of their calories from animal foods. Um, so that's, that's one metric to go by, but yeah, in general, I mean, just, you know, you can, th you can hear vegans call themselves plant-based. I think of it as meat-based. Mm, gotcha. Now I remember where I was when I first heard about the carnivore diet. I'm wondering if you had the same response. Like this sounds absolutely bonkers. This sounds like the craziest thing you can do and you, you will definitely die if you only eat meat or you eat a very high percentage of your calories from meat. Would you, did you have that same response? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's totally a natural response and normal response. I think it depends where you are at the time. So for me, when I first heard about the carnivore diet was back in 2016, people may think this is a fad diet. This has only existed for the last year or two. Um, but a lot of people have been eating this way for decades, even surprisingly. And some would argue that if you look at the ancestral record, um, we didn't really eat a paleo diet or the true paleo diet was almost only meat. It was, it was really a carnivore diet. But when I discovered it was in 2016, and at the time I was already eating 
a ketogenic diet. I believed in the benefits of animal foods and a high fat, high protein approach. And I had already cut out most animal foods from my, or plant foods, excuse me, from my diet. I was eating meals of heavy meat, eggs, some cheese. Um, and then I would probably have, you know, one green vegetable at a meal and maybe some avocado, maybe some nuts. And I heard Amber O'Hearn, who's a really excellent researcher and scientist and author, um, who's been on a carnivore diet for over a decade and found it helps her resolve her bipolar and depression symptoms, which a ketogenic diet would not and every form of therapy and medication would not. And she was describing on the Two Keto Dudes podcast that a lot of the evidence that has been used to vilify saturated fat and cholesterol and red meat epidemiological nutrition, um, which is really poor science based on correlations and not causations, um, is the same science that's used to exemplify and hold in high regard plants and say that plants are healthy and they're filled with vitamins and they're so good for you. It's really subject to the same healthy user bias, um, which is that people who eat lots of vegetables and eat lots of fruits tend to exhibit other healthy behaviors like wearing seatbelts and taking their medication and uh, not smoking or drinking and exercising a lot. And so when you look at on the population basis, the people who eat lots of plants they, they are the healthiest. That is true. But that doesn't mean that eating the plants made them healthy. Hmm. And so I, I, I heard that and I said, hmm, that's really interesting. And then she talked about how plants have a lot of toxins in them and defense chemicals because obviously they can't run away from a predator. So an evolutionary mechanism they developed is having these things like oxalates and sisalates, which in small doses, most people can tolerate completely fine. But in high doses, which can accumulate over time, they can cause a lot of negative health effects and autoimmune issues um, and chronic conditions. And by removing them from the diet, we could potentially get a lot healthier. And so I said, that's really interesting too. Um, obviously there's probably not a lot of long-term research on this carnivore diet. So it did seem a little nutty from that perspective, but you know, I was most of the way there and I was willing to give it a try. So after hearing this, you know, I said, I would love to just eat a ton of meat, all the meat I wanted and, you know, feel great and improve my body composition, improve my digestion. So it wasn't that much of a leap for me. And I was willing to experiment and try it out for 30 or 60 days, which is what I did. Hmm. So I noticed that progression pretty commonly where somebody will be eating standard American, they feel terrible. So they switch generally to like a whole foods you know, could be plant-based and usually like a paleo diet and they feel much better. And then they might jump to keto and try that and they feel better. And then I, I do notice that a lot of people will, will, you know, be on keto and try to feel even just a little bit better and go to carnivore. What benefits did you personally notice when you made that jump? You said you were already within a stone's throw anyway. Did you notice a small amount of differences or a massive amount? I noticed a fairly large and, and uh, significant detectable amount. So for me, um, I started recovering faster from my workouts. I had less soreness. You know, I'd had chronic back pain for a long time, and that went away, just cutting out this small amount of plant foods. Um, I noticed my sleep. Um, I needed less of it to feel good. On the nights when I didn't get a great night's sleep, I felt way more well-rested and energetic than before. Um, I also noticed that caffeine right away started having a much greater effect on me. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, previously two cups of coffee a day was normal and I would feel good and energized doing that. Then all of a sudden one cup of coffee had me bouncing off the walls. <laughs> wow. Um, and it's almost like I didn't need it at all. And I did eventually cut out caffeine entirely. Mm. I'm not saying that everyone has to do that. And I actually wouldn't rec recommend that when you're starting. Um, you'd have then, a lot of really uh, upset people. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I don't think you should. People. It's, it's so interesting. I see all these videos on YouTube of like common fitness influencers who are like, you know, I tried a vegan diet for seven days and they'll be like, I tried the carnivore diet for seven days, which first of all, 
seven days is not, not a enough. great trial, no. but they also cut out coffee at the same time. And it's these people who are, you know, in their early twenties, sleeping four hours a night and drinking six cups of coffee a day. And they're like, I had no energy on the carnivore <laughs> diet. It's yeah. You cut out the six cups of coffee, like Weird. Do one thing at a time. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I don't advise that, but yeah, anyway, um, getting back to the point, I did notice big improvements. My digestion improved. Um, my satiety improved, you know, on a ketogenic diet, I was still getting pretty hungry between meals. I never really felt totally satisfied or full, but I was restricting myself a little bit because I didn't want to get fat with the carnivore diet. I could just eat pounds and pounds of meat and my body composition kept improving. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of things that could be going on there. You know, I was, I was already eating a lot of protein, but stacking on more protein, the thermic effect of feeding, um, there's, you know, you drop a lot of water when you get rid of the fiber in your diet and, um, that, that can improve how you look and how you feel just having less bloat. Um, so I, I did notice substantial benefits and I'd say those benefits grew over time. It's almost like I had this second adaptation to a, a highly carnivorous diet, um, after being keto for a while, it, there were a lot of other things I improved, um, in parallel around like my feeding schedule and things like that. But some of those came later in the diet too. So to answer your question directly, yes, I noticed big benefits wow. even coming from a keto diet. That's awesome. You mentioned something a little earlier that I really want to hammer home because I think it's so important. It's so prevalent when people are trying to figure out, you know, what they should be doing with their life and their diet. And that's, that's those um, epidemiological studies, the a big group of people where you make some observations and you try to make some guesses as to what's going on, but you can't draw a conclusion. So let's, let's prove how that works right now. So Scott, did the sun come up this morning? Yes. Did you wake I up this so. morning? I did. Okay. So did you make the sun come up this morning? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's, that's why I came up because I woke up and, and that's been true every day I've been alive, by the way. That's amazing. Every day I've woken up, the sun has come up too. That's awesome. So we could make a conclusion that you are literally making the sun come up. Yeah. So that's how that works. If we say that, you know, more kids drown in July, it's not ice cream's fault that kids are drowning. Like, you know, you can you can make some associations and it might give you some interesting ideas, but it cannot, cannot prove that that was the thing that caused the other thing, correct? I love that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> I just think like, you, you said it yourself, we've always eaten meat. That was a paleo diet. That's the only way we would have survived. I mean, forget the science and the... And the you know, the, the history of it, like they're just logically that would make the only thing that would make sense. Um, yeah. There weren't boxes of cereal in the, in the Savannah. Yeah. Right. People weren't taking snacks and granola bars and yogurt with fruit on the bottom, you know, with them on long hunts. So, so what, what happened in history? Like, why did we start villainizing meat? Yeah, this is a really long story and it's a better, question for someone like Nina Teicholz, who wrote a fantastic, fantastic book on this called we have The her. Big Fat Surprise. We have her coming on in a few weeks. Oh, uh, yeah. She's amazing. She's great. Um, and so uh, essentially, um, there was a lot, of, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but I'll give, I'll give my short version, which it was over the course of, you know, the mid 1900s, um, there was more and more attention paid to saturated fat and um, a hypothesis that eating more saturated fat and meat um, raises your cholesterol and because there's cholesterol in those foods. So they thought you eat cholesterol, it raises cholesterol, um, but it's not that simple. And then there was a hypothesis that higher cholesterol levels, higher LDL cholesterol in particular, um, raises your risk of heart disease and leads to cardiovascular disease, which is one of the number one culprits for um, mortality in, in the United States and developed nations, particularly among men. <clears throat> and um, around the same time, um, this, this company, um, Crisco, found a way to create, um, essentially use the uh, waste products of plants, of canola oil or, or grapes, rapeseed oil, excuse me, which can be extracted um, and they found a way to press it and recycle it and make it shelf stable um, and mass produce canola oil. 
And um, there's a lot that happened in between, but essentially they were able to fund and work with um, folks in, in uh, govern governing bodies that set health recommendations and nutritional guidelines to create science and produce science showing that, um, or, or presenting the hypothesis that red meat causes heart disease and canola oil is much safer. safer. Mm. And so they have this product now that they can sell and they can use the evidence and their power um, in these health bodies to say, you should buy more of this product. And so all of a sudden there's profits to be had um, by changing health policy, mm. uh, creating this massive market. And that, along with the work of a few particular scientists who looked at um, epidemiological research across um, a bunch of different nations, um, one in particular was um, the seven, I'm going to get this wrong, but the seven countries study. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Dr. Um, Ansel Keys. Dr. Ansel Keys. So he basically went around the world and looked at different um, countries and observed them and said, what do these countries have in common? And, and you know, where, where do people live the longest? And um, he published this seven countries study, which showed evidence that people who ate the least saturated fat um, tend to have the least heart attacks. The problem was um, the way he collected that data was completely different from one country to the next, first of all. Second of all, um, the actual study included uh, more than seven countries. I forget the exact number. 22. Um, 22. Great. Thank you. And when you include the data from those 22, um, all of a sudden, it doesn't tell the same story that eating more um, saturated fat and, and meat and having higher blood cholesterol levels leads to coronary heart disease. So um, a lot of the evidence was skewed and painted in a particular way to make meat look bad. And then, you know, since then more and more, basically that work has been the foundation of nutritional guidelines for decades. And this was in the 1950s. Um, so crazy. But a, a, a lot of, you know, since then epidemiological evidence has used that to say, um, you know, this is our hypothesis, meat is bad. And then they look at large populations of people and the people who tend to, you know, eat more hamburgers and French fries and milkshakes and smoke and not exercise and drink and not wear a seatbelt are the ones who tend to die more. Um, and they point the finger at the meat in that. That's so crazy. Yeah, there you go. That's your epidemiological, you know, that's, that's what that does. It gives you ideas that you can then follow up with to make conclusions. But when you build one falsehood on another and another and another, and you're using, I mean, to even say it's bad science is like, <laughs> you're, you're calling it science. That's not science. Science yeah. <laughs> is where you have an idea and you try to prove yourself wrong, which is not easy. But when you prove yourself wrong, you realize, okay, I've got to go back to the drawing board and have a better yeah. hypothesis. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, okay, so we've kind of talked a little bit about the history and, and what the carnivore diet is. You mentioned this a little bit, but I want you to, to reemphasize who would you think would be a great a great person to be on a carnivore diet? And is there anybody out there that you wouldn't recommend be on a carnivore diet? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So I think um, most people could benefit from trying a carnivore diet, experimenting. And I think this is what I really encourage people to do is just try things for themselves. Um, try multiple types of diets. Um, and, and it's really easy to get my, my I'm going to rag on my father here a little bit. He's a great example of someone who <laughs> reads countless studies, but he'll never change anything about himself. Um, and he only pays attention to the research that supports his hypotheses. So I could send him tons of research on ketogenic diets being beneficial for health and um, in particular um, osteoarthritis, which he suffers from and a lot of other issues, um, but he won't spend 30 days trying it. Um, you know, he has the rest of his life ahead of him. So much potential upside if this were to help him, were to reduce his joint pain, but um, he, he refuses to try it because he, he's looking at the research that opposes the diet. But in 30 days, you're not going to really worsen your health outcomes. 
Um, you know, you, what's the worst that can happen to you? You're going to eat a lot of meat, potentially feel better, um, maybe have some cravings and miss some food, go through a little bit of adaptation. But after 30 days, you can honestly say, I gave this a try. And I know for the rest of my life that this made me feel amazing and it completely changed me. And, um, you know, it's all upside or eh, didn't really do anything. I didn't feel great. Not for me. Um, so I, I'd say most people can benefit from just that. I'd say people who have, um, you know, specific uh, allergies against meat or, um, you know, you're feeling performing and look exactly how you want, don't change your diet. Like if everything is working for you and you feel awesome, don't change anything. Yeah. If you want to experiment, good for you, go for it. But if there's anything about you that you think could be improved, um, even if it's just pure vanity, you want, you want to be a little stronger and look, look more muscled and leaner, um, consider a carnivore diet. It might really help you or consider eating a bit more meat and, and minimizing some of those other foods for a month or two, um, and see how you feel. I think that's really who could benefit most from a carnivore diet. I'd say the other one group of people who I don't think a carnivore diet is great for is people who are like athletes in season or getting right up ready for a competition. You wouldn't want to switch your diet or anything major about your lifestyle at that point, because mm. there's going to be adaptation periods um, and it's going to be tough. Uh, so, you know, be in a situation, there's never a perfect time to make a change, but be in a situation where you are ready to commit to this. You can give it a try. You can control your food in your environment and try to find some form of support, whether it's an online community, a Facebook group, Instagram, social media, um, a podcast you listen to, or someone to do it with you in person, a friend, a family member. Um, that's, that's really critical as well. Hmm. I like that. One of the really surprising things for me is to see all kinds of different things get better with a carnivore diet. And I would say, the two that really stand out to me would be gut health and skin health. You just, I would not mm. ever assume that change the diet would, I mean, I, I get it, how it would change the gut. Of course, we're told that we need a ton of fiber from vegetables to make our guts work properly anyway, which may or may not be true. But the skin health thing is so interesting. Have you noticed a lot of that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Eczema, acne, um, tons of skin conditions. I've talked to a lot of people on my my podcast and, and heard from others that can help with that. Really, what's the most surprising to me, though, Casey, has been um, some of the case studies of people who have experienced mental health benefits on a carnivore yeah, diet. Yeah, good point. Who have been battling major depression or anxiety or addiction um, for for several years and have tried countless medications and other interventions, cognitive behavioral therapy, and uh, carnivore diet makes the difference. I think that is just mind-blowing. Wow, that's super interesting. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about how we pull this off. What, what should somebody be thinking about if they want to get started on this? How how difficult does it need to be? How expensive does it need to be? Like, what what things yeah. would you would you recommend? Yeah, uh, number one ma recommendation is make it as easy for yourself as possible. <laughs> um, so you know, this is going to be a lifestyle change. A lot of people just like going into the gym on January first and signing up to be. Um, to, to go in and having a plan to work out six days a week, you, you, your motivation is going to be high at the start. Um, but you want to make it super easy for yourself to have quick wins and make it something you can see yourself doing for months. Try it doesn't have to be, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm giving up, you know, my favorite dessert forever, but it has to be something where you really think you can commit to it. So what I mean by that, just trying to make it more practical is eat the meat you enjoy. Um, you know, it, bacon is, is probably not the highest quality meat and you don't want to be including a ton of cheese and dairy on the carnivore diet, ideally. Um, but if that's what you need to get you started, and if you need to include some spices, some low calorie, you know, sugar-free sauces, um, things like that to make the diet really sustainable for you, then do that. Um, and, and, and also I'd say a carnivore diet is not, um, a weight loss diet at least not at first. I, th I think if someone were telling me I want to lose as much weight as possible in 30 days, I would never say start a carnivore diet. Mm. I think the carnivore diet is about eating food that is really nourishing to you. Um, letting your body, 
I, I hate this term, but heal, because um, I can't think of a better word, but letting your body adapt to eating um, only meat and getting those nutrients that you may have been depriving it of, amino acids, B vitamins, et cetera. Eat a lot. Eat until you're full. Eat when you're hungry. Don't fast intentionally. Don't restrict intentionally. And then later on, once that's in place, you're in a really, really good place to try to lose fat and to maybe play with some things like nutrient timing and macronutrient ratios and, and restricting calories a bit. But when you get started, you really just want to make it easy. You want to eat the meat you enjoy. You want to eat up um, and, and, and have extra meat both on hand and prepared. If you get hungry, if you get cravings in the middle of the day, have something to go to um, and feast on. Something you really enjoy, have extra steaks, have ground beef, have bacon, have, have cheese, have, have eggs, um, have all that stuff available um, and make it really enjoyable to get started. So that'd be my number one tip. And then number two, I already talked about, but it's, you know, have a, have a community, have some form of support. When you feel like the carnivore freak um, that everyone is questioning, you know, why are you eating only meat? What is wrong with you? Um, isn't that going to give you a heart attack? Have uh, a, a group you can go to and ask questions of and feel supported by um, that. I think that's really critical as well. So those, those would be some of my top tips. Um, and, and then, you know, be patient, give it time. There are going to be adaptation symptoms, make sure you're getting enough electrolytes, make sure you're, um, relaxing, you're not over exercising, um, or adding stress, um, and, and enjoy the ride. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. You said two things that I, I really love. And the first one is refine later. Don't worry initially about yeah. what exactly is the best of the best grass fed, grass finished with organs and all this stuff. Just, just don't worry about that for now. We'll deal with the dairy. We'll deal with the cheese. We, you may or may not even need to eliminate that to begin with. So, so don't start there. Just, just yeah. get some of the other crap out, get all the fast food and donuts out. And what's left is a lot of meat and just eat whatever. The second thing that you said, I think is so important and it throws a lot of people off because they're not used to it. And that is satiation. Eat until you are very, very full. Now, I think so many people know what it's like to feel full in their stomach. You go have a healthy, quote unquote, healthy meal. You go get a salad and it's got some chicken in it and some croutons and some, you know, salad dressing. And you, your stomach will be full. You'll have fiber in your stomach and you will stop eating. But in two or three hours, most of those people are starving. And that's why I would submit that the, the break room that's when it's the busiest at 3 p.m. when everybody's looking for a snack to perk them up. And at 8 p.m. after dinner, everybody's still hungry and they need dessert. And people aren't used to getting fully satiated where they're eating something that's so, you know, you said nourishing and rich and it's it's filling you to the point you can hardly take another bite. And and people, again, they, they're afraid of that. And they're not used to that. But the back end of that is you start to eliminate hunger and now you're eliminating meals whether you wanted to or not. Yeah, completely agree with that. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up. When somebody is getting started, they can include all of those types of meats. Um, you did mention that bacon was lower on the list of what your favorites were. Can you tell us, like, if somebody could choose or they were ready to refine, what what things would they want to focus on the most and what things would they want to start to maybe look at eliminating? Yeah, so the foods that have the highest um, nutrient profiles in, in the animal kingdom and the foods that... Also, just anecdotally, you know, I mentioned there are a lot of people who've been doing this for decades, long-term carnivores. They all seem to gravitate towards beef um, and, and more generally ruminant animals. So a ruminant animal is anything that has a rumen. It eats a lot of grass. Um, so lamb, buffalo, beef, um, uh, elk, these types of animals. People seem to, to feel best when they eat more of, of those types of meat, partly because they're fattier than a lean meat like chicken or other forms of poultry, turkey, um, but also because they contain lots of essential B vitamins um, and they just seem to be nice and fatty and what people feel best on. So I'd say beef, whether it's in the form of steaks, ideally is best. Ground beef, I would say is, is slightly below that because one of the problems when you cook ground beef is you lose um, a lot of the fat. A lot of it renders out as as uh, tallow or animal fat. And it's probably not best to be eating a ton of tallow. It, it can affect your digestion um, in, in multiple ways that are really negative. Um, but if you cook up a fatty steak, you can eat the fat off that steak. And, and usually people tolerate that better. Um, 
Uh, eggs are fantastic, though some people have a problem with egg whites. Um, they have an intolerance to them, so so just something to watch out for. But generally, I think it's a really healthy food that's also a relatively cheap source of protein and really high in, in vitamins. Um, and then uh, I would say other animals are fantastic: fish, poultry, pork. Um, but but you know, many people will find, uh, myself included, that we eat a large plate of chicken um, or pork versus beef. It just doesn't provide the same satiety um, and the same um, energy that that eating a large plate of beef would. And then I'd say, you know, getting into some of the more processed foods, bacon, hot dogs, um, jerkies, things like this. Again, they're sausage. They're, they're an okay snack. I wouldn't make them the basis of your meal because they contain a lot of fillers and other spices. Um, and also when, when you uh, process the food in these ways, it eliminates a lot of the nutrients um, that, that you would have if you were just to simply cook it. Um, and then, uh, you know, below that, I would say things like um, uh, processed cheeses are, are not great. You want to, if you're going to be including dairy, um, you want mostly grass, grass fed, grass finished cheese and, and ideally unpasteurized cheese because that's contains more, more essential vitamins like vitamin K. Um, and then uh, also, you know, down on the list is things like pork rinds. Uh, pork rinds are made of uh, like pork skin um, and, and other parts of the animal. So, so they don't have a lot of the, they, they're actually an incomplete protein source. They don't have all the essential amino acids. Um, so they're, they're really high in collagen, but you're, you're missing out on some essential nutrients there. So I would put them further down the list as well. Mm. Um, but really, you know, eat a lot of beef and then the other meat like chicken wings and pork and things like that, eat it to enjoyment. Um, but ideally try to make most of your food, uh, a beef and ideally steaks. Gotcha. You mentioned chicken and how it doesn't have maybe as much satiety. I will sometimes leverage that on maybe a day that I have lifted weights a little heavier and I want to have a little bit better recovery. I'll eat the leaner protein first and then kind of finish off with the fattier meats and chicken would be useful in that situation. But I agree. I, I just don't get as much satiation out of it. Um, speaking of the ratio between fat and protein, I hear a lot of debate about this. Is there something that people should be worried about as far as the amount of protein versus the amount of fat they're getting? Yeah. When you're, so this is like a topic of debate. It's, it seems kind of silly when you zoom out, but it's a topic of debate in the carnivore community. Um, some people think you really have to be dialing up the fat, eating closer to quote unquote ketogenic ratios where you get 75% of your calories or more from fat, um, which on a carnivore diet is actually pretty hard because you're not including things like avocado and nuts um, and a lot of oils. So it's actually hard to get your fat super high when you're eating a lot of meat and steaks. It tends to be higher in protein. Um, and then there are other people who say, you know, eat a ton of protein. Protein's better. Um, it's more filling. Uh, it's, it's an essential macronutrient. You can't overeat protein, blah, blah, blah. So I, I tend to I, I see both sides of the argument, and I've also experimented with both myself and um, find benefits to both sides. I think if you're getting started, like don't worry about it. The one thing to watch out for is just don't eat super low fat. Don't eat, you know, all chicken and fish. Um, you'll get very tired and hungry and lethargic and irritable very fast because if you're removing a lot of carbohydrates from your diet, that was your energy source, and now you need to replace that with fat. Uh, otherwise, you don't have any energy source available. So I'd say when you're starting and getting adapted, just try to eat generally fattier meats and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. That's all, all the advice I would give. People who have been on the diet longer, um, I think it's useful to experiment. Try a higher fat approach for um, you know at least a few weeks at a time, if not a month or more. Try a higher protein approach. See how you feel. Track your foods a little bit. Track your satiety. Track your performance, your sleep. Um, how much you're eating and see, see how it affects you. There are some people who can lose weight a lot better on a higher, higher fat approach. Some people lose weight much better on a higher protein approach. It really differs. Um, and so as much as I've dug into this and asked people much smarter than I, like Dr. Paul Saladino and Dr. Sean Baker about it, um, and mentally masturbated over it. I think it really has to come down to individual experimentation, but you know, when you're starting out, when you're getting adapted, when you're doing world carnivore month, just eat the meat you enjoy and make sure you're getting plenty of fat. Love that. There's also a similar battle between organ meats, whether organ meats are needed to do this or not. Where do you fall on that right now? 
Um, similarly, I think uh, there are valid arguments on both sides. One is, you know, a lot of the long-term carnivores, people who've been doing it for decades, um, have found they don't like organs. They don't, they don't peel as well when they eat lots of organs, um, and and they perform better without them. Um, but there is a valid argument that organ meats like liver are the highest in a lot of nutrients, um, like vitamin A and copper. And a lot of those nutrients are actually things we don't get in, in muscle meat, um, at least according to the data we have. Uh, so, so it would make a lot of sense to have them to complement your muscle meat consumption from that perspective. But I think we just don't have the research or studies to say long-term, like people are healthier, people live longer, et cetera, if they eat organ meats. So, um, you know, if they appeal to you, if you love them, then go for it. If you're trying this diet, like you're not going to develop any nutrient deficiencies, not that you would in a, a month or two, um, by not eating organs. So, so don't worry about it at all. And then longer term, um, again, experiment, see how you feel, try a little bit of organs here and there. Don't go whole hog and say, I'm going to eat only organs every day for weeks at a time. Yeah, that could I think be that's bad. overdoing it and that could backfire. Um, but I would say, try adding them in a little bit to the degree you enjoy them. I found over time that, you know, when I started the carnivore diet, I couldn't even be within miles of liver without getting nauseous. The smell <laughs> would just completely repulse me. And then, uh, it started to appeal more and more. I found new ways to cook it and I developed a taste for it. I now really actually love it. Um, and, uh, I, I enjoy trying different organ meats, finding new ways to cook things like beef tongue. It's really fun. Um, so it, it'll change for you. Be patient, but at the start, don't worry about it. You don't need organs to start an, a mm. carnivore diet. I'm, I'm still waiting and I'm still being patient. I have not had that experience of wanting to do yeah. a lot of organ meat supplementation, I think maybe it's helped fun. a little bit, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, that's the smell for me is just so tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I get it. What, what downsides might somebody experience when they're just starting that may discourage somebody from continuing with the diet when in fact, those may be signs that what they're doing is perfect and is working. So one is, uh, especially for women, um, the weight on the scale may go up, but it may be that your clothes are fitting better and you like the way you look in the mirror a little bit more, but do you see the scale going up? And that may be that you're having some body recomposition going on. So you're actually gaining muscle, um, either while keeping your fat the same or losing fat. And that could be because you've been under eating protein for a while. Um, and all of a sudden on a carnivore diet, you're eating a lot more protein. And that's favorable. I mean, a lot of women are afraid of gaining too much muscle and becoming a bulky bodybuilder. But trust me, with a women's hormonal profile, that's just not going to happen, um, especially not quickly. So, you know, a lot of people would prefer to have a lean, slender physique and feel strong. And so I think you shouldn't be afraid to have some, some muscle mass gains. And by the way, it's excellent for your health. Um, muscle is the organ of longevity. It protects you against most diseases. Um, so I I'd say that's something that, uh, people could be uh, surprised by or, or think they're doing something wrong. If, if the scale increases when in actuality, um, they're getting a lot healthier. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think, the scale can tell you something. It can't really tell you a lot. And sometimes it can be really counterproductive. Yeah. I've noticed with a carnivore diet, when somebody's starting, I think something just as simple as, as taking some pictures, you don't need to share yeah. them with anybody, keep them on your phone and, and look in a month and see the difference. Because I think yeah. there's a pretty obvious visual difference when somebody starts and gets rolling on it. Yeah. Another thing that can happen is your digestion can do some funky things when you're starting the diet. So um, some people get, uh, I'll use the word, the runs <laughs> when they start the carnivore diet. Um, and some people are really constipated and they think that, oh, you know, this is because I'm not eating enough fiber. It's ruining my digestion. And the reality is whenever you start any new diet, if I were to go from carnivore to vegan or vegan to carnivore, or just change up my diet, high carb to high fat, um, my digestion would change and the gut microbiome changes and it takes time for your digestive system to adjust and change over. Um, so particularly on a carnivore diet, when you're not eating all that bulk and that fiber and those carbs, um, even coming from keto, all of a sudden um, your colon releases a lot of water 
and it doesn't have anything to latch onto all that fiber. And all of a sudden there's a bunch of water flowing through your system. So that can give you the runs. Mm. Um, similarly, if your body was, you were used to producing a lot of waste, a lot of that was the food you're not digesting when you're eating, you know, breads and cereals and, um, potatoes and vegetables and fruit. Um, a lot of that is indigestible fiber. We don't have the ability to, um, extract a lot of energy from fiber like a cow would or a gorilla would. Um, our, our ability to ferment fiber in our gut is very limited. So a lot of, uh, a lot of what we, what we produce as waste is, is part of our food. When you're eating only meat, um, that gets mostly digested. Um, so you're going to produce a lot less waste. So you may think you're constipated, um, or you may think you're, you're going a lot less. Um, but actually it's just, your body is absorbing a lot of that food and there's just less waste you're consuming. So that can be another thing that tricks people up. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the digestion. Most people said it would take about a month or so to kind of, kind of pass. And I was definitely one that had the runs and it was probably a good two and a half months. The people on the fitness floor got used to me just like dead sprint out of nowhere to the bathroom. Like I got to go <laughs> now. <laughs> I had some close calls in the beginning, but you're right. It kind of normalizes after a while. I also found that digestive enzymes can sometimes help when somebody is just yes. getting started. If you're noticing some stomach issues, you're not digesting food well, that you may just just need like a little kickstart, not something you need to do forever, but it's something that could be helpful. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, you mentioned women. Um, I, this is a tough one and I get different, different answers from everybody. I, you know, I kind of think of men running on a 24 hour cycle and women run a, running on a 28 day cycle. Is there any benefit mm. to women doing carb cycling, timing that within their, you know, their monthly cycle? How do you think about that? Yeah. The short answer is, I don't know. Um, I, I don't have direct experience yes. myself. It's a great um, answer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it seems like there are people on both sides of the arguments. Um, I think in general, uh, I'll make some general statements. Men on average tend to be more, um, more, uh, idiot proof <laughs> with regards to their diet. Um, they can do things wrong and their body can tolerate it. You know, men can fast longer and, and feel okay. Um, they can cut their calories lower and not have a lot of side effects like losing their hormonal signals and, um, you know, messing up their sleep and their stress. Um, and, and so, so men are more idiot proof. Um, so, so you, I think women in general have to be, um, more careful and intentional about the way they approach diet. And I think in particular, there are, I have observed, um, and, and this is certainly true of men too, but I've just seen a lot of women who want to do CrossFit 12 times a week and fast for 23 hours a day and limit their calories to 800 a day and only eat carnivore and no carbs and, um, drink 12 pots of coffee. Yeah, that's And I think, uh, when you stack stressors like that, it can have really negative side effects. And so when I talked about, you know, starting a carnivore diet, one thing is, you know, maybe it's a period where you exercise a little bit less, um, or only do, you know, recreational exercise that you enjoy mm. while you're getting adapted. Um, and maybe you, you don't intentionally fast at all and you try to sleep a little bit extra, um, to get you through the adaptation period. But, uh, to answer your question directly, do women need carbs? Should women be timing carbs around their cycles? I'm not an expert in that. There are a lot of people smarter than me who think yes. And a lot of people smarter than me than who think no. Um, but I can, I can certainly see an argument for why, and I certainly wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good advice and a really good and thoughtful answer. Let's say that somebody does want to do some carb cycling. They don't want to be as strict with the diet. Maybe, maybe they just want to play with adding more uh, meat to their diet, but they still want to stay on a fairly healthy diet. What, what are the best non meat options for somebody? What are your best non-carnivore foods that you think are the safest and most benign? Yeah. Um, great question. So I would say, um, after animal products, um, dairy is, dairy is an animal product, but dairy is like pretty much split down the middle. Half people are totally fine with it. Half people, um, you know, it, it messes up their skin. It causes gut problems. It can be something that's never satisfying. So it just spikes your appetite immensely and makes you want to eat, eat, eat. Um, so dairy, dairy can be, um, really controversial. So try, try a week without it, 
maybe two weeks, see how you feel, um, regardless of what diet you are on. Um, I would say after that, the, the least problematic plant foods tend to be um, honey. That seems to really be benign, but you have to be a little bit careful with it because it's um, you know, it's, can really spike your blood sugar, but having a little bit of honey, if you, if you want a carb source is great. Um, I would say low sugar fruits, um, like squashes, zucchini, um, mushrooms, a lot of people tend to tolerate those quite well. And then berries, um, are something I would, I would recommend. I'd say, uh, the paleo medicina group out of Hungary, which is a clinic, um, that has, you know, published a lot of original research and done case studies with people, um, you know, overcoming leukemia and various forms of cancer and all types of autoimmune issues using essentially what is a carnivore diet. They um, reintroduce plant foods to people and they have a great list of most benign plant foods. So I'd encourage people to check that out. Um, but the, some of the ones you want to be more wary of would obviously be, you know, more processed foods, refined grains. Um, foods that are super high in fiber, um, you want to watch out for because you could just not be used to fiber if you've been on a carnivore diet. Um, and I, I, you know, so I think some of the simpler things like plain white rice, um, can be, can be fine. Um, you have to be care. Some people have to be careful about high FODMAP foods, things like onions, garlic, um, really cruciferous vegetables can be a problem for people like broccoli and cauliflower, um, but in general, if you follow, you know, low sugar fruits, um, and, and, uh, foods that are low in fiber, you should do pretty well. Mm, that's great. We'll make sure we link that list, uh, in the, in the notes as well. They do great work over there. That yeah. is kind of like a really good segue to the next question, which clearly like, this isn't the diet that you have to be on for the rest of your life. Is that correct? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Mm, that's great. So you've given so much great advice and really good tips. I think you've already said this basically word for word already, but I'm going to ask it again. What is the most important tip you would give to a beginner if they wanted to get started on a carnivore diet? Make it easy. Yep. That's what I Make thought. it easy for yourself. Um, experiments, um, and give it, give it an honest try. That's great. That's really great advice. Um, Bethany couldn't make it on today, but we, she would, she'd be pretty upset with me if we didn't talk about your dog. We need a, we need a pup okay, date. How's, yes. how's Chewie doing? She's doing excellent. Um, so she is still eating a completely carnivore diet. She's coming up on her one year birthday. Um, what's wow. super interesting about Chewie is uh, we started feeding her um, raw bones as well to help with her dental health. She has ter terrible breath. I think it's because we haven't done anything at all for her dental health. Um, but people are amazed by her energy, her attitude. Um, and one thing in particular is she's a Labradoodle and almost every Labradoodle and other um, poodle mixed breeds, doodles in general, seem to have this thing where around six months to a year, they lose their color entirely. And wow. it just starts to really fade and hers hasn't whatsoever. Wow. Um, and I, I think I would attribute that to the diet. Um, she eats, you know, uh, we buy her this raw dog food that's frozen and then we defrost the chubs and we use a food scale and we feed her a certain amount and we feed it to her by hand every day. And she goes absolutely wild for it. She loves it. Um, and it's a mix of, um, you know, ground beef, tripe, um, uh, trachea, a little bit of bone and uh, some added minerals and she does excellent with it. We give her the occasional, you know, raw egg. Um, she gets bones and then we use, uh, we use freeze dried beef liver treats um, and beef heart and beef kidney. And she absolutely loves those too. Um, so she's a very healthy dog. She's very well trained. Um, we, we groom her, we train her with the food. And uh, I think, I think the diet has been a great part of it. We're, we're very happy. We fear the way we do. That's awesome. Um, her digestion is really rock solid. That's great. And she doesn't drink much water either, which I think is really interesting. That's interesting. She drinks way less water than other dogs and she's able to hold it for like 13 hours overnight. Wow. Um, we, re we got really lucky with that. 
ask any puppy owner how important that is. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> we love your podcast, The Carnivore Cast. It's been going for a few years now. You have great guests. The one you released today Thank was you. awesome. Um, they're all really great. My favorite one was you interviewing your wife. What has she been up to lately? Yeah, Marissa's doing quite well. Thanks for asking. Um, she has been trying. So she had gone through, She she's working, um, doing really well at work, absolutely crushing it. She's a rock star. Her company loves her and is happy to have her. We haven't been able to see her family in a while due to uh, coronavirus. And we were going to go for um, Thanksgiving, but unfortunately we had to make it virtual um, to protect some of her family members. But uh, she is still eating a mostly carnivore diet. She had had done food reintroduction over the course of several months and found, you know, some of those foods that worked well for her, uh, like strawberries, especially and berries. Um, and she she can tolerate sweet potato in in certain amounts um, and zucchini, which has really enhanced um, her enjoyment of the diet and and how she feels um, in her fullness as well after doing um, over a year of very strict carnivore. And now she's experimenting with increasing her carbs a bit and decreasing the fat to see how that helps with um, her trying to accomplish certain uh, body composition goals. And so that's been really interesting. And yeah, we're, we're having a great time living in Boston, surviving lockdowns and thriving. Yeah, that's great. You, your home workout setup is way sick. You did a really great job with yeah. that. How are those workouts going? Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to do a video on it soon. Um, I, I, it feels like bragging almost when you show off your home gym equipment, but maybe it'd be helpful for some people and a lot of people have asked for it. Um, yeah, we bought uh, pl workout plates. Well, first we bought adjustable Bowflex dumbbells, the ones that go up to 52 and a half yeah. pounds, yeah. which are awesome. Back in March, like right when quarantine hit, I was like, I'm buying these. Smart. And Marissa was like, go for it. Smart. And so paid like 500 bucks. And now I think they're, you know, non-existent on the market. You can't find them anywhere. Um, and then more recently when gyms closed, I got sick of, for my leg training, just doing endless Bulgarian split squats with, um, you know, two 52 and a half pound weights in my hands and a backpack and resistance bands around my neck. I was like, <laughs> this is just mentally taxing. I can't keep doing this. So I finally bit the bullet and bought a flimsy squat rack off Amazon for like 150 bucks um, a five foot barbell and, uh, someone in my area was selling plates for $2 a pound. That's so great. I spent like, I spent like $500 and got 250 bucks of weight. Um, and yeah, now we have a pretty great setup for an apartment gym in Boston. <laughs> um, and we're able to both get really good workouts on that and, you know, motivate each other and train together. And that's been great. We're making the best of, a tough situation with uh, gyms closed. Awesome. And you mentioned wanting to make a video of that. Your new YouTube channel is really good. How has that been going? Thank you. Um, I would say really good is very generous. <laughs> I am, I was challenged by one of my recent guests, Colin Stuckert, um, who's the CEO of wild foods. Um, you know, a lot of people have this like kind of Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk mentality of just get content out there. And I think there's something to be said about that. And that's kind of how I've approached the content, the, the uh, podcast, excuse me, is just consistency, putting out one episode a week ruthlessly. Um, and I haven't really embraced YouTube. I have a fan who's been very generous to help post, thank you, James, my podcasts on YouTube, um, where I don't have to do any of the work. And uh, that's been awesome because I found out there are a ton of people who listen to podcasts, who listen to them directly on YouTube. Um, not on a podcast player. So it's opened up a whole new audience that I, I can help and reach. Um, but I haven't created any videos myself. And people have been telling me, you have to do YouTube, you have to do YouTube. And Colin said, you know, just try picking up the camera and doing a five minute video a day. And so I said, hey, it's World Hardware Month. I can do that. I can do that for a week. Um, and so I tried picking a few topics and common questions, making a really low budget, horrible lighting, poor sound quality unedited video of myself talking about a topic and answering questions for five minutes. Um, and so far the reception has been awesome. People have liked it. Um, there's always a few comments that are like, this is the worst produced video I've ever seen on YouTube. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? It's um, great information. Right. They're great videos. So, they're short. They're yeah. to the point. They're great. 
Thank you. So I'm just trying to get something out there. Um, and, uh, it's been fun and I think I'll, I'll try to do more of it. Just do some monologues. Um, I think you've inspired me Casey by your, um, you being relentless about producing awesome podcasts and just pumping out the content. And so I'm trying to do the same. Um, and I, I hope it's, I hope it's helpful for some people. That absolutely will be. Speaking of content, you are continuing to post delicious looking pictures of food online, especially during World <laughs> Carnivore Month. You are killing it, man. They look so Thanks. good. What's been your favorite food um, that you've eaten so far? Oh man, nothing beats like a perfectly cooked ribeye. Um, but I've been really into um, you know, mixing foods and creating plates of food lately. So having like a little bit of a leftover burger patty alongside, um, you know, some delicious, perfect fried eggs with nice runny yolks, um, you know, a little bit of collagen on the bone that you can eat off, um, maybe some crispy bacon, um, some fresh wild caught salmon, um, just making kind of a platter. Um, it sometimes takes a little bit more work, but when you're at home and you have all this food available, like it can really make, um, diet super enjoyable. So that's, that's one thing I really like to do. And then we have another thing is we love to make like carnivore keto pizzas. Um, so we've been finding different ways to do that with cheese because we seem to tolerate dairy pretty well. Um, so that's always delicious. Nice. That's awesome. That all sounds really good. I'll do that same thing. I'll just throw a bunch of random leftovers in the air fryer and man, sometimes just hits the spot to have like a, a variety of different kinds. So good. Yeah, totally. Uh, if somebody watches your videos, one of the things that they would assume is that this is your job. You, you clearly mm. know what you're doing. You're very smart. You can get to the point of a subject and explain <laughs> it really well, but you, you, you don't get to that level of knowledge without spending a lot of time there. And so I think most people would just assume like, yeah, this is his job. This is what he does, but that's not the case, which makes you, in my opinion, even more impressive that you're able to Thanks. do the podcast, give great content, do the channel, and all that other stuff. As far as the profession goes in 2020, you had a pretty rough time. Um, and I kind of yeah. want to talk about that. And then I've got a follow-up question for you after that. Thanks. Tell us, um, tell us what happened in 2020 professionally for you and, yeah. and, and tell us how you made it through. Yeah. I wish this was my job. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I love helping people, but at the same time, you know, when you're making a lot of money doing something, it can almost crowd out that intrinsic motivation. Um, so, it, it, it's nice in a way that it's not, um, and I'm not financially dependent on it. I, um, carnivore cast is a hobby for me. Um, you know, it's five to 10 hours a week, probably more if I count, you know, all the Instagram time and answering people's messages, but I love it. I don't count the hours. Um, and, uh, my main job, I, I work in strategy and, uh, you know, a variety of consulting, type type work. And I worked for a technology company based here in Boston called Toast, um, which provides technology to the restaurant industry, similar to Square. They have, you know, the digital cash register and they process payments and COVID hit and hit restaurants very hard. Um, it's particularly small independent restaurants, not the chains. And so Toast was forced to lay off two thirds of employees, including myself and my entire team, my boss, the CFO. And so I, um, you know, collected unemployment and I was forced to undergo a thorough job search. I interviewed, um, at over 60 companies. I reached out to hundreds, um, and, you know, it was probably not great for my mental health, but I used the opportunity that I was interviewing from home over zoom for the most part to, uh, take a shotgun approach and really spread a very wide net. Um, and, I did, you know, probably 10 take-home case studies, each of which were 10 to 20 hours. I did a bunch of super day back-to-back -back, um, final round interviews um, and ended up at a place I'm really happy at, uh, better.com, which is a, a digital lender, um, helps provide mortgages more cheaply and easier and more conveniently to people. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a tough time and uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend interviewing or recruiting in that, in that approach. I would mm. Take it slower. Well, I just, I keep hearing this theme from you and, you know, gyms closed down. So, so you can sit around and mope about it or you can go do something. You can make your own gym. Yeah. You, you lost your job. You can 
sit around and, you know, I just did eight interviews. That's a lot of interviews. What, what, why did you go to the ninth or the 10th? Like you have such an ability to, to be optimistic and hopeful and keep working. And it always seems to work out. So I guess my final question for you, I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. And I just want to know what, what have you learned about yourself and what would you tell somebody who's going through a, a very heavy challenge when it feels like there's no way out? Yeah, I think for me, it's just kind of like put one foot in front of the other. Um, it's easy to say that in retrospect. I think in the moment, there's probably a lot more stress, anxiety, anger, fear um, that crops up in one way or another. But, you know, when I when I find out I'm laid off, my first intention is, OK, like, what do I do next? Where, where do I who do I reach out to first? Where are companies in Boston I can work for? Where are companies elsewhere I can work for? Um, you know, how do I start lining up interviews when gyms close? I'm instantly thinking, okay, what's my next workout? How am I going to get that workout in? What equipment do I need? What equipment do I have? Okay. Do I need to go buy more equipment? What would that look like? Um, and by focusing not on big existential questions like, oh, six months from now, am I going to have the right amount of workouts in to achieve my goals or um, you know, woe is me. What am I going to do about gyms closing? I try to just move on to the next thing. And I think it's, it's also a character flaw of mine in the same way, even with big successes or big wins, things that I should be celebrating more and be more grateful for. Oftentimes I'm like on to the next thing. Okay. What's next? You know, I, I got this promotion. I landed this great job. Okay. Um, you know, how do I do the next thing? Um, so I, I think there's a balance there. Um, but in general, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move forward. Um, and so that, that would be my advice for people. I love that. If you're going to fall, fall forward. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Scott, we really appreciate you and we appreciate your time coming on here for the second time to help us understand, you know, your level of understanding of the carnivore diet. Where can people go to find you and learn more? Yeah. Thank you so much, Casey. You're a fantastic interviewer. Really love chatting with you. Um, and we should do it more often on and off the air. Agreed. Um, my, handle is carnivore cast on all social media please go check out the carnivore cast youtube channel and come shout at me about how horrible the video quality is <laughs> <laughs> and uh carnivorecast.com is my website that's awesome we will link up to all of that in the show notes like i said scott mazinski we are very grateful for you and your work and for making time to come onto our show today you have a lifetime pass you can come anytime you wish we will host you any day we always appreciate you Great. Thank you so much, Casey. You are very welcome. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.